Very good to see everyone again today. Thank you for coming and for your time. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer as we attempt to peer into, with his help, more of his attributes to enlarge our heart in worship and praise to him. Father, thank you again. We thank you, Lord, for welcoming us. And Lord, we we come to you with hungry and humble hearts, yearning, Lord, and desiring, Lord, to know more of you and your ways. So, Father, we ask that you would impart to us knowledge from on high, wisdom from on high, as we open your word, that you would teach us and change us and mold us and transform us, enlarging our hearts in faith and love in you and trust in you and dependence upon you enjoyment of you and worship of you, Father. We thank you for the beloved Son, our King of kings and Lord of lords, who reigns supremely, seated at your right hand, making ever more intercession for the saints and for your precious Spirit that is our comforter, our counselor, our teacher, the administrator of your will and our souls, Father. We, we pray and ask for his presence and power to be manifest today to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Wow, I'm learning slowly not to try to do a study on a laptop with bifocals, so today's the reading glasses, so (laughs) this will help much more. But today we're going to look at, and I didn't mean to steal one of the omnis from Brother Landon, but we're going to look at, sorry for my spelling, Omnisapiens. Anybody? Anybody? You've heard of this term, right? Homo sapiens? What we are? Do you know what that means? Wise men. Ha. (laughs) So we'll X that one out. This is the wisdom of God. Omnisapiens. Oops, I can't spell. I confess I learned that this week as well. It just, it just added to the richness of God's wisdom that his wisdom is eternal, all-powerful, all-pervading. So just as Paul ascribes to the Father in Romans 16, the only wise God, Thankfully, this is one of the communicable attributes that God shares with us in part, you know, as, as that part which is, is sourced from God and given by God, his wisdom. But as I said, it's kind of ironical that we're considered or classified as, as homo sapiens, as wise men, because interesting, just doing a quick word study on wise or wise man through the scriptures, there are many instances where it talks about the wise man as he receives knowledge and understanding from the Father, but there's also many associations of the wise man being very foolish, very, very wasteful of time, very obnoxious, really. How would you define wisdom? Kind of a broad question, but how would you define wisdom? There's, pardon? Pardon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
fear of God. That's yeah. That's that's an that's an aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, brother. Pardon? Very good. Very good. Anything else with that? Because that's that's the definite part of it. Pardon? The sermon. Discernment. Yeah, that's that's part of it. There's another aspect. Yes, Marie. There, yeah, there's wisdom in that. The Christ is the personified wisdom. But what what other aspect besides knowledge and and an aspect of discernment is there? Does God just reside in the heavens, full of knowledge? Yeah. But in His wisdom, how is that revealed? Power and might, knowledge and power, a skillful application of his knowledge. And for for men who have received and and asked for and and have been imparted with the wisdom of God, that's also carried out in us where we're able to, in this life, have discretion, have have a control of our passions, have a skill and, and a sensibleness about us in, in all the circumstances and concerns of this life. Because a scholar can even be a fool, right? So it's not a matter of just knowing, but how is that knowledge, as, as just reading this week in Piper, he talks about how our, our mind should preach to our heart, that there should be the knowledge imparting through our, our, our desires discernment and our actions that we live sensibly, especially, and this, this is talking to believers, as believers in the Lord receiving his knowledge from his word, that we can impart that, that, that knowledge can be imparted in our lives, okay? So yes, wisdom is an aspect of his knowledge, but these two, the wisdom and knowledge are unique, and they don't always accompany one another in scripture, as I said, we, knowledge can stand alone. It can be acquired. We can learn, know hundreds of facts and thoughts and read tons of books. But if it doesn't result in any productive recourse in our lives, if it's never put into action, no depth of impact to change us, to transform us, then what's the purpose of it? We just get puffed up. So the key is that there is a power with God, and that power is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, putting that knowledge to use. Here's my feeble attempt to define or or to better describe the manifold wisdom of God. It is God's unfathomable, immutable, and eternal intelligence and knowledge that has been and is being made manifest through the best-determined adaptation of by means of his power, to perfectly carry out and accomplish his predetermined purposes for the greatest good to all his recipients and to his greatest glory. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you a shorter version. Mr. Sharnock was very gracious in a shorter version. God's infinite knowledge divinely employed toward the highest ends and to the glory of himself. So God's infinite knowledge divinely employed toward the highest ends and to the glory of himself. This is what will happen to you when you meditate on God's attributes. 
I mean, it just it just just keeps spilling. So I'll send you that long definition if you want. But it like John Owen. I, it just it just wouldn't stop. I mean, <laughs> the pencil kept going. I had to resharpen it. Anyway, praise God. But God doesn't just reside in the heavenlies, thank you, as a being just full of infinite knowledge. He carries out his power. He has intended purposes. He has an ultimate goal for the good of his children, of his elect, and for his glory. Yes? You beat me to it, man. You're, <laughs> hang, hang on to that thought, brother, because we're, we're going to get that. That's true. I mean, that's it, because that, like I said at the first, that's our only true source of wisdom. Because the wisdom of the world, empty, foolish, nothing. It, it, it's temporal. It fades. It's, it's always striving and, and clawing and trying to grope and find God, and it never does without his help. Yeah, amen. So we're going to consider that as well as another many, many other examples here today, Lord willing. Whew, this may be two parts, brother. I don't know. Um, Romans sixteen twenty seven. Paul says, we're going we're gonna to look at some other scriptures. I just want to hit this one real quick. The only wise God, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, in his infinite wisdom, his infinite purpose, our good, his glory. Okay? And as I said, there's a power there is a, a carrying out and execution of his knowledge with, with such incredible, intricate, timely, personal, suitable skill that, that we could spend, well, we will spend an eternity of eternities just marveling at this, to exercise out that knowledge in each of us individually, corporately as his church, and with all the nations because nothing is beyond his realm. Nothing is beyond his sight. And it's interesting that at, this is one of Chart. Now, this is one of Thomas Brooks's thoughts that came out, and I kind of paraphrased it here. I didn't want to go into another three paragraphs, but he alone oversees each and every minute circumstance throughout all time, in all of creation, in all the lives of creation, as before himself before his very being as if it were in one image. So he's not a sequential type God. He sees all of creation, kind of going back to that pen principle again. He sees all of creation as in one image before himself. And he is truly transcendent over all time, but he is directly present and active in time. So he's not constrained outside of time. He's not just out here somewhere as a deist but he's involved in time and the intricate aspects of our lives. So his wisdom has subsets of attributes to it. There's a foreknowledge of all circumstances and their subsequent actions. God is very aware of all those. He's already predetermined all the contingencies that will occur. There is a willingness and action toward these ultimate goals. And as we've said, the ultimate goal is good, always goodness with God and his glory. Again, Sharnock says, the knowledge of God is his understanding of all things. His wisdom is the skillful resolving and acting of all things. Okay, let's turn to Deuteronomy 32, the great song of Moses. Moses. 
someone would like to read just uh, verses 3 and 4, Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. Go for it. Amen. Moses is ascribing here the greatness and the glory of God in conjunction with his solid, unmovable nature, his great and perfect work in each and every way, as has been made to his chosen people. What amazing comfort to our souls in this. Ephesians 1.10. Someone like to read that. <clears throat> Going into the new covenant now, into the church. Yes. Okay. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth in him. Amen. Hey, keep reading. We've obtained an inheritance. Okay. Yeah. yeah, sorry. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Amen. Just a quick glimpse here of what we're going to look at in detail later is something that is the reality that all of God's wisdom have have been have brought his in God's wisdom he's brought all lines of revelation to bear now upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is the 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 most grand the the fullest declaration, revelation of God's wisdom, as we're going to see, is in Christ later on. So in God's wisdom, his omnisapience, sorry, I skipped there, it is significant that both his might and power um, employed for the greatest and, and highest and glorifying purposes, because he has both the goal in mind as well as the power to execute toward that goal from his knowledge. And I know it sounds like I'm repeating this over and over again, but this has got to sink into our souls, that this is not just a mere set of facts. His word is not just a bunch of truths that we look into and peer into, but with them come power and the ability to change and transform, that they are there for our comfort, our strength. And this is his wisdom, that if he were not wise in his holiness with this wisdom, with this power, we might expect that he would misuse his power and knowledge. So in that we see the harmonious nature of all his attributes together, that, that holiness bears his, his, his glory and his wisdom, that if there was not that, that sharing, that unity of these attributes in there, we, we, we wouldn't know what to expect. But we see that's why we're going through these attributes in, in this detail, is to see how harmonious, how necessary they all are and working together for our good, and now especially in his power and wisdom. And all his choices are perfect, has the highest end in mind. And what we can and should rest assured in and be confident in is that God has the best means by which to attain these highest ends, and he promises them for our good so that he alone will receive all the glory, not anything that we do of ourselves. And Job speaks of anyone who might challenge this reality. In Job 9.4, regarding any man who may have a dispute with God, for God is seen as 
as Job says, wise in heart, mighty in strength. Who has defied him without harm? Who has challenged him in Scripture and not felt the harm, the wrath of God? For some, it has brought about repentance. We think about Nebuchadnezzar, but we think about Herod and his proclamation and the people declaring him to be God. Immediately he was struck. Let's go to Job 12. I'd love to read this whole section, but we'll just go to... In fact, I'll I'll read it real quick because... I don't want any brother or sister to get carried away here. <laughs> this is an amazing passage, Job 12. Starting down at verse 13, I'll just read a few. But I, I bookmark this, highlight this, put a tab in here. Go home and meditate on this. Job speaking about the power of God. Start in verse 13. With him are wisdom and might. So we see that that communal working there, those attributes working in harmony. To him belong counsel and understanding. Behold, he tears down, and it cannot be rebuilt. Jericho, there's the truth in that. Cursed is any man who rebuilds on this. He imprisons a man, and there can be no release. Behold, he restrains the waters, and they dry up, and he sends them out, and they inundate the earth. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The misled and the misleader belong to him. Wow. He makes counselors walk barefoot. And this is an interesting scripture to go dig into. And makes fools of judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their loins with a girdle. He makes priests walk barefoot and overthrows the secure ones. We'll stop there, but just just encourage you to go home later and meditate on that but incredible amazing truths speaking about God's wisdom as as seen in both his power his knowledge of all things with him are wisdom and might all the counsel and understanding belong to him and without might it it may just be a good idea that wouldn't come to pass you know that we'd never be aware of without his exercising his power on our behalf and it's not confined to the Father alone. We've seen a very Trinitarian work here in the, uni- the unity of the triune God. Flip over to Isaiah 11 real quick. Just verse 2. <clears throat> says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And here, speaking of the Messiah, where we see that the spirit of wisdom, the third person, the third member of the Trinity, anoints the second member in his human estate. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and and of wisdom and understanding. And we see the work of the triune God the, the carrying out the eternal counsel and the decree of the Father that would commission the Son, where the Son willingly condescends to the Father's will in his human flesh, in his human nature, and the Spirit enabling him with power to equip him in the weakness of his flesh, and the wisdom and the will of the Father at work in carrying out this decree while Christ was here on earth and continuing on now into glory. 
but all, all of the triune, all the persons of the Trinity receiving glory and of much good do we, how much do we greatly benefit from this work of the Trinity in this, this scripture and, and, and all of the scriptures. Just real quick, a couple other scriptures. Isaiah 55, verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We cannot fully plumb the depth of God's wisdom. We, we should attempt. We should explore. We should examine these things because this is what instills worship in our heart. This is what helps us realize who we are as as finite beings, as living no longer than a hand's breath, you know, whether we are suffering in the midst of of cancer in our bodies or in the greatest time of, of joy and abundance. God is in supreme control of all those things. And we need to rest in that and to know in that, that this isn't just it here. You know, it's for eternity. It's for his glory. And Romans eleven thirty three, an amazing passage. Paul just, just breaks out in declaration. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So wisdom finds its origin in God himself and his being. And for us as creatures brought forth by the creator, where does our introduction to this wisdom begin? <laughs> fear of the Lord, Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord, the reverential worship and fear, the recognizing of who we are before a triune holy God as his creature. He is the creator. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments and his praise endures forever. Amen. Any questions or comments? Amen. 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 I, I did cut that one out for time. So, <laughs> but thank you, brother. Amen. That's that's another one. Just declaring his wisdom, breadth of his power, his eternal knowing of all things. God, as God is the origin and the fullness of wisdom, he's also the giver of wisdom, of true wisdom, wisdom from above. How is that wisdom, wisdom appropriated? Two ways. Now, how, how, do, how do we receive that wisdom? Well, we, we ask for it. Right? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting real simple here. <laughs> we ask for it in faith, right? Believing, knowing that if you are the source, I've, I've, I've got to go to you, Father, for the source to know these things. Not only to know, but so that I may act upon them. If you're not a... Go ahead. Yes, yes. And to be a doer of what you ask for and what you read. Amen. Ephesians one seventeen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation 
in the knowledge of him. That, that inner working of our spirit as, as recipients of his grace through Christ, that we may also continue. This isn't a one-time deal, got it, I'm good, nothing else needed, I'm fixed for the rest of my time here on earth. No, continue to receive this gift of wisdom ourselves through the Spirit's revelation, through his word and the knowledge of God. Is, is there a greater gift or a greater blessing for us? And then knowing God, nothing, nothing compares on this earth. And Colossians 2, 3 just, just parallels and reiterates this truth of our entry into divine wisdom is only in and through the person of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we touched on this already, how we're to approach the all-wise God in order to be recipients, to receive this. If we lack wisdom, ask in faith. Asking in faith without wavering. Yeah, yeah I really need it, but I'm not sure if you're going to. No, Lord, I need your wisdom. You know, through, through our own personal trials. I, I know we've, we've seen many of the trials in our body over this past year, year and a half, of where, I mean, I, I can conf- tell you from Pastor Mila and I both just daily, seeking the Lord for wisdom on, on how to address, how to minister, how to help in these needs. Because in and of ourselves, it's like, what do we do? Yes, we look at the scriptures, but, but we seek the Lord's wisdom and counsel in these things to know how do we minister in the body for these things and the needs, the hurts, the joys, whatever it is. So first and foremost, frontline scripture, man, James 1, 5 to 6. But to share in a small part, <clears throat> which we do, we, we don't have the, the inexhaustible and fathomable depth of God's wisdom. We should pursue it and, and, and strive to know more of him. It can only be an ex, an experienced in and known and, and cherished and enjoyed in and through faith in the person of Christ. So now we're, now we're to the main part of today's study. So... <laughs> That, that was just introduction. But this gets good. So I'm going to look at just three areas. Now there's, there's, you, you could carry this on for days, but three areas where we see God's wisdom displayed very clearly. Creation and his providence and in redemption or salvation. Okay, so God's wisdom and creation. Just the, the visible the tangible evidence of, of God's wisdom through all the creative acts that we see even this day in our day and age, the richness in his creativity, just amazing to look at. You know, none of us look alike, you know. He, just the way he changes just subtle features in our DNA structures that have effect on how our outward appearance is. And not only in the physical realm, but the giftings he gives by the Spirit, purposed for His glory and the work in His body, you know. So there's both that natural and the supernatural creativity that we see displayed all around us. Just think of the sheer genius behind this. I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of the videos on on um, intelligent design, talking about the the very and I forget what they call right now, brother. You probably know this where it has the little propeller 
uh, motor system built into the gear system into this very microscopic particle that exists in water. And the design of all this is just incredible. It's not to prove God, (laughs) but we see from God how his creativity just is magnified even down to these microscopic levels. Psalm 104, 24. Oh, Lord, how many, how many are your works? In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions, all owned, all created and all owned by God, all sustained, all purposed by God, all designed to be carried out for his glory, for our good, for our enjoyment. I mean, praise God to get up and see such a beautiful day like this. And yesterday to have the rain, to see him replenish the earth. All of this. Proverbs 3.19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And, and here we see a parallel in Scripture of his wisdom and understanding. It's not just talking about his sheer creativity, but we see that his knowledge is employed in creation in such a way that it accomplishes his purposes of all that he's created. And all of Psalm 19, but specifically Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens themselves declare the glory of God, and its pursuit is to display the grandeur of himself. Calvin describes the earth as God's great theater where God's wisdom and power are on full display every day. Turn over to Romans one twenty. I know a very familiar passage with everybody here being such presuppositional evangelists. (laughs) Praise God. But just here talking about his creation. Anybody want to read Romans one twenty for me? Okay. Thank you. Amen. Just by the way which he's brought about his glorious creation, <clears throat> not a big bang, but the only way in which that would bring about the greatest glory to himself in, in showcasing his eternal power, his knowledge through the wisdom, were worth with these first four words, let there be light. You know, that set it all in motion. And then in, in perfect order, he in his inscrutable wisdom, immediately and instantaneously in the subsequent six days to create everything out of nothing. Incredible. In Proverbs 8, this is a wonderful passage because this again brings in the Trinitarian aspect of, of creation and the wisdom of God. <clears throat> Verses, chapter 8, verse 27 to 31 I'll read that real quick. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above and when the, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. 
And we see this where wisdom here is personified in the person of Christ present at creation with skill and power. All right. Any questions? Anything else? That's the wisdom of God in creation. All right. Wisdom of God in his providence. Always with his glory as the goal and within the symphony of the plans of God, God as the master conductor orchestrates all human circumstances, all the affairs of men in providence so as to bring about this highest end. And we know that in his providence, it says that he causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous, that there is in his providence common grace given to all. Amen? And in Acts 17, 26 and 27, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Think about this verse just in in reflecting on the providence and the wisdom of God in your own life, in, in your family. Where you were born, when you were born, even as we talked about the genetic structures, how you're made up, how you look, your personalities, all that has influenced you and your family, your teachers, where you have been brought from and to in Christ especially under the new covenant, but just the wisdom and the power of his design to bring about the best good in all of our lives and for his glory. And we also must remember that even in the trials of our lives, it's still coming, they still are under the divine scrutiny of his wisdom to know exactly what is needed, when is needed, what is needed in our lives and when it is needed to correct us, to teach us, to comfort us, to humble us, to draw us near to him, even to prune us and to deepen our faith, to nurture our faith, to wean us off of the world and its allurements and more and more its ways in working in us toward Christ in a deeper and deeper fellowship. We can't forget Job and what he had suffered through and how God even used the evil principalities and powers in this world to bring about such great good in his life and glory, and how severely his patience was tried. All of these trials have within their core the ultimate and highest purpose, which is to conform us into the image of his Son. What greater confirmation can we have? What greater transformation can we have than to lose our identity in him. Who else comes to mind? Genesis 50, Joseph's life. You know, that's, that's just an incredible story. All that we, he went through, and it wasn't just the final outcome, but in every aspect that he went through, suffering in prison, being forgotten about, being tempted, being falsely accused, all of that. And we know what his final words were to his family. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Not just the final 
encounter with his family, but everything up to that point, being cast into a pit, being sold as a slave, everything. How would we have reacted in something like that? I mean, just be very honest with ourselves, except for the grace of God, you know. We don't know. But each and every step of the way for him, he was used to fulfill God's purpose. Yes, in a lineage of God's redemptive plan, absolutely. But God uses us, too, for his glory in this day and age. That's why we need his wisdom and his power at work in our lives. The ultimate display of wisdom, of even using evil and adversity and trials to bring about the greatest good in our lives. Where would we find that? The ultimate display of God's wisdom. Amen. Amen. Christ was crucified, not by a few circumstances gone awry, something went wrong, something, no, 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 predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, a plan that was carried out in perfection for the greatest and highest good on behalf and to the ultimate glory of his name. But it was through the greatest evil, the blasphemy that ever committed on earth, through the worst premeditated murder of the only beloved innocent son of God, Yet it was from the eternal counsel of the triune God himself to bring about this eternal plan of salvation. Can you see, glimpse, peer into the vastness of God's wisdom in this? It is truly God alone who can cause all things to work together for our good to those who love him. Because we can see in all aspects of every predetermined plan. He, he can see all aspects of his predetermined plan before himself in one image. It is an incredible blessing to know that nothing just happens. There's no accidents. There's no fate. All of that is just foul. All right. Any questions, comments? Yes, brother. I came this cap. <laughs> it was so foolish. It was so foolish even then. Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the Lord had just revealed Himself in Sinai in power and might uh, to the people, and they so quickly went astray. Amen. It just shows the foolishness of man. Yeah. 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 Abused it. Yep. Yep. We we are all prone to that. Yep. Okay. I think I can get this in. The wisdom of God and salvation and redemption. I, I don't apologize here, but we're we're gonna we're gonna preach this. <laughs> the greatest display of divine wisdom ever displayed for the world, as we said, for one time made known to all man the greatest mystery revealed from times past.
is the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my cursor. It's in the cross of Christ that the whole world sees the most dis- supreme display of his wisdom in the history of mankind. And not just, or not, not simply in the providence that the Son of God was crucified. That was major in and of itself. That is huge. But in the power of the cross to save sinners. That this, this pinnacle event in time like this could only have been conceived and designed by the one who is immutably wise and powerful. What man, given infinite time, infinite possibilities, could ever come up with a plan so simple and so profound as one where God the Father would commission his only begotten Son, the second person of the Godhead, to be born into a world full of sin, yet he himself without a sin nature, an incarnate Son of God's conceived being conceived in a virgin's womb and carried nine months just as we are, born under the same law and commands that we break every day and living under the curse of that law, that he himself was born under that law, yet he obeyed it perfectly throughout every moment of his life, that he might give to all who believe in him his perfect active obedience and righteousness to be imputed to our vile account, making us as though we have lived perfectly under that same law, even more that he would be condemned before a mere man as Pilate, that he would be falsely accused and condemned to death and on a cursed tree, on a shameful, horrific cross that bore the greatest shame for the greatest innocent who was the prince of life, that he was lifted up on that cross, and him who knew no sin, God made to become sin for us. What genius, what wisdom, that by this willful act, every one of our sins, even the sins we have not yet committed, would be transferred to him in his body on that tree where he became the curse for us that he would shed his blood in his death and washing away all of our sins as that sacrificial scapegoat, that having paid the full in full the sin debt for all those for whom he died, he cries out, it is finished. It's paid in full. And then he's taken down from this cross and placed in a borrowed tomb, buried, yet he saw no decay raised again to life at the satisfaction of the Father, and then to ascend to heaven, to return to his Father, to be enthroned at the right hand of God the Father, with all authority and power in heaven and earth, interceding on our behalf day and night, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. What an incredible plan that God has designed. The great substitution on behalf of sinners. Think of this. Could Christ have simply come and defeated his enemies with a great display of his power? Couldn't he have called 12 legions of angels and done with it? No, he fought and won with no other weapon than the cross. 
self-denial was the secret to his life. Let that sink in for a minute. And where do we find this? Such glorious proclamation from Paul. First, first Corinthians, yeah, 1, yeah. Somebody want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 27. You there? Go for it, brother. Verse 20? Yeah, 20 to 27. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through which wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are being, but to those who are the called, Amen. both Jews mm. and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, mm. and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not no. many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Amen. And let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Wise men of, of all the ages, the greatest debaters, the most contemplative philosophers who, who convey nothing more than, than a feeble attempt and approach to truth and reality that can somehow be apo- accomplished apart from God. All the world's wisdom is but foolish in light of, and, and if we can say in comparison to God's wisdom, which was and is still pleased to save those through the foolishness of the message of the cross of Christ. And the fullness of God's wisdom can be seen in even planning the entirety of the gospel to be what it was. Now, how and where is this wisdom being revealed to the world? Through us. Through the church. Ephesians 3. He says, Paul says that, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for all ages has been hidden in God who created all things, all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence, confident access through him in faith. What wisdom. Amen. And just quickly, on a, on a personal devotional level, I want to read to you Psalm 51. Just consider David's acknowledgement of God's truth and wisdom of grace here. In verses 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. 
that soulish region where the grace of God fully exercises his knowledge birthed in a heart, a changed heart. This, this is his wisdom at work. But we see here in two powerful objects of, the, of these verbs here in these scriptures is truth and wisdom. And we see David's confession of his, his moral impotence that he realizes that there has never been a time when he had not been in a sinful state. None of us are because everyone who is born is born in a state or condition of sin. And that state left unchecked, unimpacted by the grace of God, ultimately from the wisdom of God, will not know or understand how God has prepared in our human spirit the capacity for truth and wisdom. Even for those still in the womb, and it is this reality that makes sin so painful and wicked to God. Amen? Any questions? Wow. Made it. Praise God. All right. On that, let's go worship.